Amen. Turn in your Bible this morning. Oh, here we go. But this is what I want to do earlier. I want to do it right now. Summer success initiatives. I emailed this to you a few weeks ago, uh, and this is something we're just going to continue to hammer on throughout the summer. And I want you to take them. And when we get all this up there, you can take a picture of it if you haven't heard it. There's really fourfold uh, um, impact of our summer. Somebody say summer success initiatives. Our summer success initiatives begin, they all begin with the letter I, so you'll remember them. And the first one is intercede. Everyone say intercede. This summer, we need to pray more than we've prayed in a while. All of us do. I do. Beverly and I have been praying together some as we're driving in the car. The other morning, we helped, we're on a drive. We just had a great time praying through the model prayer and praying for you, praying for VBS. Uh, and so, and praying over our, our, really three things for our church family this summer. How many of you know we need to agree together over some things? The first one is focus, that God would help each of us in our church family focus on how to fulfill the call of God for our life and just really get some direction from God and some vision from God about the the next steps. Somebody say next steps. And so we're praying for focus. How many of you know it'd be good if you, if we all prayed for Pastor Sam to, st- to stay focused, all right? And, and you and your family on God's purpose and plan. And then we're praying and interceding for our friends. Let me throw this out to you. How many of you have some friends and some maybe work associates, people that you know, they may be born again or they may not be born again, but you know they need prayer in their life. Things are going on. Lift your hands. Where are they? You got people that need prayer. Let's pray for them and let's intercede for them. And then number three, finances. You know, in the summer, there's a lot of things that happen. And as you know, here at Church on the Rock, we are definitely a nonprofit corporation. But Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6. He said, pray this way, give us this day our daily bread. And I'm asking you to, as a church family, for us to pray together that God would supernaturally supply resources into your life, into the church family's life, and into, into the, the, the storehouse of God here at Church on the Rock so we could be better equipped to fulfill His purposes. So the first success initiative, everyone say intercede. I want to encourage you to do that. I want to ask you to do that. Pray over these three things. When you pray, pray over these things. God, give us focus to fulfill your purposes here at Church on the Rock. God, we pray for our friends. And God, we pray for the finances. We just pray you'd be Jehovah Jireh, our provider, and supernaturally supply. The next one, the next success initiative is interact. Listen, don't disengage from the local church. Now, how many of you, let's be honest, let me ask you, how many of you sometimes, you kind of like to tell people what to do? How many of you like to be the boss of somebody? You kind of like, I mean, you like to just say, okay, I want you to do this. I want you to look somebody in the eye and say, don't disengage from the local church. You can shake your finger at them if you want. Come on, everybody, do it. Find somebody. Don't disengage from the local church. Tell somebody. In other words, stay interactive. Hebrews 10, 25 says, forsake not the assembling together as the manner of some is. So much more as you see that day approaching about the end of days. So this summer, don't disengage, stay interactive, build relationships. Now smile at those who you just told something and you scowled at them and say, you know, we are better together. Tell them, come on, y'all didn't do it. You just smile. Let you, you know, we are better, better together. We're better together. Martin, we're better together. Amen. Jim, we're better together. Eugene, we're better together. We really are. And then the third one is invest. Be an investor. 
uh, of your time, your treasure, and your talents. VBS is a great way to do it. Hey, and, and, and shock the preacher and maybe invest some time on Wednesday night. Just a thought. It's just a thought. And Wednesday night, in fact, in fact, in a couple of Wednesday nights, we've got a great time of worship and prayer. We're going to just let the Spirit of God move in us and just kind of heal us and help us and, and provide hope for us. Uh, and, and minister to one another and just get in his presence. And then we're going to have a eating meeting. Amen. How many of you like eating meetings? All right. So that invest your time, your treasure and your talents. Uh, how many of you, if you're not an investor, it's hard to make a withdrawal? Hello. Okay. So be an investor. And then number four, invade the darkness. Get out there and let your little light shine and invade the darkness. And let's not just coexist, but let's take over. And everybody said, amen. Now, take a picture of that right there. If you, if you need that, you need help, take a picture and say, man, this is where we're, this is what we're up to this summer. Uh, and get plugged into that. And let's do, let's work together to see God do something wonderful in our midst. Summer success initiatives. Whoo. And everybody said, amen. Now, turn in your Bible to Matthew 6, and you could to Matthew 28, to the Great Commission. We've been talking about now, I think this is our seventh week, on the disciple makers. And on Wednesday night, we've been talking about the disciple makers. And on Wednesday night, we've had a great array of teachers and ministry team. Josh, Jim, and Michael have all linked together with us, and we've we've had a great time teaching uh, through the disciple, you know, what it means to be a disciple, what's necessary to be a disciple maker. Uh, and so that's what we've been really focusing on. Uh, and so if you're in Matthew chapter six, I'll quote the great commission for you. It says this, go into all the world and do what? Make disciples. How many of that's pretty clear? Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And he said, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so uh, it's very clear that God has called us by way of the Great Commission. Somebody say the Great Commission. Man, the Great Commission is not just for the evangelist or the pastor or the teacher. It's for each of us. That's our responsibility. And catch this, not just to be a disciple, but make disciples. And here's what the bigger picture. Somebody, somebody just said, what's the bigger picture, pastor? Come on, say it out loud. The bigger picture, pastor. The bigger picture, pastor. What is that? A, an alliteration kind of? The bigger picture, pastor, is this, that if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're going to make disciples. Because if we're not making disciples, we are not really disciples because disciples beget disciples. And so, with that in mind, just a quick reminder, you saw it in the, in our announcements in our take five, our mission statement, our full four, our fourfold mission statement here at Church on the Rock. Really, if you melt it down, it's the Great Commission. We're called to, that means come together. We're gathering together. Hey, we're, we're fulfilling the, one of the four really cornerstones of our mission statement. We're called to gather and we're called to grow. And if you hear the word of God and partake of it today and apply it in your life, you're going to be able to take part in number four. We're called to grow. And then we're called to 
give, that is serve and help and invest our lives, our time, our treasure, our money, our resources into fulfilling the Great Commission, uh, not only around the world, but right here in Beaumont, Texas. And then we're called to go. You know, there's, there's different types of uh, evangelistic effort. There's come and see. Come and see is good. Some of you are here today because somebody said come and see, but go and tell. Everybody say go and tell. Go and tell. We, we go and we tell someone. We invest our lives and we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you melt that down. That's the Great Commission. And the understanding of the Great Commission is this. This is all review. It's all to keep you on task. The cross-cultural calling and command of the Great Commission to all Christians is to say it with me. Make disciples of all nations. Everyone say make disciples. And that's what we've been doing, and that's what we're endeavoring to do. And a definition of a true disciple is this, a dedicated and disciplined follower of Christ who has embraced the command and the call of God to make disciples. Everyone say, make disciples. Whew. Everybody do this. Say, I think I got it now. Whew. Man, that, we got, you, you know, I understand something about repetition. It's a good teaching tool. And in fact, the reality is this. Did you know the reality? Pastors have a problem. Everybody say, you pastors have a problem. Yeah, some of you won't say that. I know that. Here's the problem we have, that it takes about a month to six weeks to get all your church family informed about one thought because they rotate in and out. I think they call each other. They say, well, I'm not coming today, so you got to go. I don't know if that's true or not. Y'all do that. I hope you don't. But you rotate in and out. And 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 the average, what we would call, I'm going to put this in quotations, faithful church attender only attends about 50% of the time. If you attend more than 50% of the time, you are special. Uh, and if you, uh, you if you attend 90% of the time, uh, we're going to just have a parade for you because that's the culture we live in today. We're trying to transform and change the culture, but understand something, repetition is required in order to get truth and, and, and wisdom uh, uh, imparted to the church family. So that's the reason for a lot of, of, of repetition. And so here's the thought we've been looking in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which is called the what? The Come on now, y'all help me. It's okay to, sh- if I ask a question, it's okay to say it with loud confidence. We've been, we've been looking through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which is called the, boy, y'all are still weak. We, I'm going to just keep doing this. We've been, we've been looking through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which is called the, the Sermon on the Mount. Somebody say the Sermon on the Mount. And really the whole theme of the Sermon on the Mount, and there's a lot there. I'm telling you, Jesus, he put a lot in there because how many of you know it takes a lot to be a disciple? The really a whole theme of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, let's try that again. The whole theme of the is the lifestyle of discipleship, what it means to be a real follower of Christ. And so that's really the theme of this first recorded message that Jesus shared. And when you read through it, you'll tend to think he's just hitting shotgun, hitting all kinds of different topics. But really, when you put it in a pot and melt it down, it's really what's it? Because he's talking to his disciples. Now, the multitudes are listening, but he's just talking to his disciples. Now, you know, he's talking to the multitudes, too. But he's he's addressing his disciples and all the other multitudes were listening. So. That's where we've been. That's where we may be for a few days more. I've got, in fact, we're beginning a new series in August, or really the last Sunday of July, which I think is July 30th. So I got to get this kind of wrapped up. 
And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to hammer you with some stuff today in a good way. How many of you are ready to get hammered with the word of God? <laughs> because I've been giving you kind of one thought. For example, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, we looked at the Sermon on the Mount. We talked about the, uh, the disciple makers live a lifestyle of influence. They're salt and light. Everyone say salt and light. And then we looked at the Sermon on the Mount and we said disciples and disciple makers live a lifestyle of giving. Because Luke, uh, pardon me, Matthew 6 says, when you give. Everyone say, when you give. And that was a couple of weeks ago. And then last week, we looked at uh, what some call the model prayer. And we talked about the lifestyle of prayer. You see, disciples and disciple makers, they're just givers. They're people of influence. And they're prayers. They pray when you pray. And uh, I would encourage you, if you missed last Sunday, and really all of this, go, go to our website, uh, cotrnorth.com and you can at least tap into the audio uh, and you can plug in and get involved with what we've been talking about. Now today, I'm going to hammer you with four thoughts from the Sermon on the Mount about the lifestyle of a disciple. Are you ready? Are you ready? All right, here we go. The first one is this. It's a disciple maker lives a lifestyle of forgiveness. I want you to see something. If you go back to Matthew 6 and you look at the model prayer and in verse 12, he says, and when you pray, pray this, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, you, you understand that thought, correct? If you want God to forgive you, you must be a forgiver. If you want to walk in forgiveness, you've got to be a forgiver. How many of you understand that principle right there? It's a principle of the word of God. And so he put it in the prayer. When you pray, he said, you need to pray and basically saying that you, that you in your prayer life, that you're right with God and you're right with man. And if you're not right with man, you're not right with God. If you have offense with someone in your heart, God, there's a, there's a wall between you and God. <coughs> And he cannot fellowship with you because out of that prayer, you got to see this about God. Are you listening? If you're listening, say, I'm listening, preacher. When he finished that model prayer, it's so cool. I love the, I'd love to go back and preach it again. He finished it. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And everybody say the last word. Amen. And immediately. He whirls back to this thought of forgiveness because he's talking to disciples. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. The only part of the prayer that he comes back and he reviews and rehearses and, and, and pardon me, puts a emphasis on and said, let me just make sure you got this part because if you don't have this part, you, you don't have any of the parts because if you're not right with God, man, uh, you know, your prayer life is defunct anyway. How many of you know that's true? And understand this, the cornerstone of Christianity. What's the cornerstone of Christianity? What's the cornerstone of Christianity? The cross. Jim, I about pushed it over. It scared me. It's the cross. The payment he made so we could be what? Forgiven. 
So the cornerstone of Christianity has everything to do about this lifestyle of walking forgiven and walking as a forgiver. Let me just tell you something today. Could I tell you something? Could I read your mind? I'm really not doing that. I just, I just know this is the case in a crowd. If you get a crowd of two or three, this will be the case. Somebody will have unresolved conflict in the works with somebody else. Am I right? The whole world's full of people who are offended at other people. The church is full of people who are at odds with other people. And you live a life of turmoil because you're, you're an offense, you've got an offense and a, and a hurt and an, really, let's use the Bible word, an unforgiveness in your heart towards someone else. And Jesus affirms that, hey, you need to understand that the, the cornerstone of Christianity is built upon a newfound capacity to forgive and be forgiven. That's what the cross was all about, and that will take care of us. You say, well, I can, uh, you don't know what they've done to me, nor do I want, I, I mean, I'm, I care, but you don't understand something. What I really care about is not what they've done to you, but what you did with what they've done to you. What'd you do with it? Have you let what they've done to you keep you in bondage to unforgiveness in your heart and keep you separated from God? It's a principle that he reaffirms and he, 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 he establishes. In fact, let me just tell you about unforgiveness. Unforgiveness paralyzes our spiritual progress and prevents any real relationship with the Father. And it's interesting to me that what Jesus said on the cross, he didn't say a lot on the cross. But what he did say has profound effect. What did he say? Father, forgive them. My daughter's giggling at me. I'm trying to be, uh, what is it, uh, impacting. My girls are giggling at me. Father, forgive them. What's he, he's reaffirming this, this understanding. Decide, if you're going to be a disciple, you got to live a lifestyle where you're right with God and you're right with man. In fact, uh, Peter even affirms this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. He said, husbands, live with your wives in all honor. In other words, he's basically saying, stay right with your wives and don't get cross-haired with your wives. I know that happens. I know Josh and Laura have never been crossways with one another, so they don't, that doesn't apply to them. But uh, being cross, don't be cross-haired, crossways with your wife. And then he tells the husband, because if you are, your prayers will be hindered. In other words, if we're not right with others, we can't be right with God. And it is, as a disciple, we can't carry the offenses of this life uh, uh, around with us. I'm telling you, it stinks, it drags you down, it paralyzes your life, and you and I need to have a revelation of forgiveness in our heart. Hey, we got to live a lifestyle of forgiveness. And everybody said amen. Here's another one. You want another one? I'm, I told you I was going to hammer you with four. We could talk about forgiveness for a whole six or eight week series. But listen, it's time we let it go. In fact, you've been talking to your neighbor. Uh, look at somebody else, and especially if you know they're carrying an offense in their heart toward you, you just say, you need to let that go. You need to let it go. Let it go. Lord, I forgive. 
In fact, did you know in the Sermon on the Mount, he said we're, we're to be forgivers and bless those who curse us. Love your neighbor. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Don't let it get a grip in your heart. Some people have a, have a, have a hook in your heart of offense. That until that gets out, you'll never be healed and you'll never have a prayer life that's worth a penny because your, your prayers are hindered and, and, and you're walking in unforgiveness. Therefore, God can't forgive you. How many of you ready for me to move on past that? Say, Amen. Here we go. Number two. We've got to live a lifestyle. If you love that one, you're going to really love this one. As disciple makers uh, and disciples, we, we are to live a lifestyle not only of forgiveness, uh, but a lifestyle of fasting. Somebody smile and say, glory to God. Come on, say glory to God. Because if you remember in the Matthew uh, 6 chapter, there are three wins. When you give, everybody say, when you give. Now he's talking to disciples here. If you don't want to follow Jesus and be a disciple maker, you know, plug your ears and go, I don't want to hear this. When you give, when you pray, and then he links this one right in it like it's, like it ought to be as, as prominent in our life as prayer. Uh, uh, and when you fast, everybody say, when you fast. Not if you fast, but when you fast. And as believers, you know, we don't fast until it gets really serious. In fact, the disciples were trying to cast out a devil, and Jesus said, you need to understand, this kind doesn't come out except by prayer and fasting. And so he says to his disciples in verse 16, moreover, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. All three of those wins, when you give, when you pray, and when you fast, they all have, when you do those things to God and for God, not as a public display of religiosity, but as some form of service to God to honor him, he says that the father who sees in secret will reward you openly. There's reward that you ha and I have not attained to blessings from God because we have not done what is necessary to tap into the reward of God. And such is fasting. And there's a lot we could learn. There's books about fasting. But let me just give you some thoughts. Can I give you a couple of thoughts, maybe three? Number one, as I said, fasting should be a lifestyle. It really should. In fact, Wednesday night, we, we talked about being uh, weaponized as disciples, that we need the weapons of our warfare. And we looked, I said, the good news about the good news. How many of you know what the good news is about the good news? How many of you know what the good news is about the good news? I gave it Wednesday night. There wasn't a lot of people here post uh July 4th weekend. That was a toughie, or July 4th Tuesday. The good news about the good news in Revelations chapter 12 is we win. Somebody say we win. And it says about the victorious church, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And number three, now catch this because I'm going to link it to fasting. And they love not their lives unto death. In other words, they... They put themselves as second. They put their, de their desires uh, as second. 
I, I had the joy and honor in the last couple of two or three weeks. I've, I've made a new friend. His name is James Caldemeyer. You can Google James Caldemeyer. He's one of the premier uh, guides on Lake Fork and he's a believer. Uh, and his, one of his primary sponsors is I am second. And the whole theme of I am second is that Jesus is first. And his big boat says, I am second. It means that, hey, Jesus is Lord of my life. I love that. Uh, and how many of you know that if, if we're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, uh, we cannot be in charge of our life. There has to be one that is in charge of our life. And fasting uh, is a, a lifestyle of sacrifice. And so just like the, the first or the, the, the church is victorious in the end, they were a people who, who put themselves second. They did not love their lives unto death. And that's what you and I need to understand. Fasting teaches denial of self. How many of you know self is the biggest problem most of us face? It's not your wife, guys. Come on. That's supposed to be funny. Some of you got really spooked there. But hey, the biggest problem you and I face is not a lack of money. The biggest problem you and I face is ourselves. And we've got to come to a place and disciples must come to a place where they realize that today I'm denying my, myself. In fact, Jesus said this in Matthew 16, 24. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. And so fasting, the first thing it does for us, it teaches us to be what God wants us to be and to say, you know what? I'm put, I'm at least second. I'm not first for sure. I'm denying myself and I'm putting him at first place in my life. And, and, and Jesus is going to be Lord of my life and not myself. So fasting says no to the flesh and yes to Jesus. Number two, just our number three, another thought. Fasting teaches us discipline of spirit. In fact, Paul said this in 1 Timothy to Timothy. He said, exercise or really discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Be spiritually disciplined. Be disciplined in giving, be disciplined in praying, and be disciplined in fasting. There's so much more I could say. For example, we could go over to Isaiah 58, which says, is this the fast God has chosen? Let me tell you the fast God has chosen. You read Isaiah 50, 58, this will blow your mind. It'll say to loose the bonds of wickedness and set the captives free. Just like Jesus said, this kind doesn't come out except by prayer and fasting. I want to tell you, when you get into this lifestyle, power begins to, hey, we got the power we have the power, the power will begin to increase in your life. The more you say no to your flesh and yes to the spirit of God and you become spiritually disciplined and you spend time with God. In fact, it says when you fast, you do it to God and you, and, and you appear to God in the secret place. He looks and he says, oh man, that's my child. He's putting himself second. He's saying no to his flesh and he wants to spend time with me and spend instead of spend time with meat. He wants to meet with me instead of meat with meat. Beverly and I went to the steakhouse last night and for the first time in a while. And uh, man, our flesh was going, ooh, this is good. There's nothing wrong with that. But there comes a time when we've got to say no to the flesh and yes to the things of the Spirit. Everyone say, when you fast. It's a lifestyle. It's just like giving and praying. Fasting should be a lifestyle. And then number three, let me throw this at you. I told you I was going to hammer you. It's the lifestyle of focus. Matthew 6, 
if you're there. Really, verse 16 again through 24. Let me just hit the highlights. Number one, we've got to stay focused upon fellowship with the Father. That's the fasting verse because he says you're, you're fasting to God. You're, you're spending time with the Father, fellowshipping with the Father. We've got to stay focused on the Father. Someone say, focused on the Father. Because it's not about you. It's not about us. It's about him and his purposes in our life. And so when we're fasting, it's not about us even as much as it is about him. It's about spending time. We got to live a, a disciples stay focused. They don't get distracted. They don't let things keep them from the father. They don't let ke- things keep them from fellowshipping with the father. It's not only a focus on our father, but uh, it's a lifestyle of focus upon eternal investment. Because he says in verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor, nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, what's he saying? We, as a disciple, we can't be co- so consumed with our stuff that our stuff consumes us. How many of you know the Bible says God gives us all good things to enjoy? But listen, that's all temporary. And he said for us as disciples, we got to live a lifestyle that is always investing into eternity. Investing our lives in things that are for the greater good of God and for the eternal purposes of God. And not spending all our time storing up stuff. Because how many of you know you can't take it with you? Are you with me? Say amen. We live a lifestyle of focus on the Father and an eternal investment. And then he talks about focusing upon having a healthy focus and a righteous focus. Look what he says in verse 22 and 23 of Matthew 6. The lamp of the body is the what? Eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad or unhealthy or unholy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What's he saying? He said, listen, you got to stay focused on having a healthy focus. You can't be looking at things you shouldn't be looking at. You got to be looking at the right things. You got to be looking at the holy things. You can't let your eye be distracted and the temptations of this life overwhelm you. You got to stay focused on what that which is good and healthy and whole in your life. He's saying, hey, listen, you got to stay focused. Look at your neighbor and say, stay focused. Come on, stay focused. Well, I have ADD. Well, I'll heal you in Jesus' name. Somebody say amen. We got to stay focused on him. And then finally, he talked about a lifestyle of focus upon singleness of heart and service. Look what he said in verse 24. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money or mammon. What's he saying to the disciples? You gotta stay, you gotta stay focused on, on who's in charge of your life. You can't serve two masters. He's in charge. He's the Lord of our life. So it's a lifestyle of focus. Focused on the fellowship with the Father. Focused on making an eternal investment with our lives. Focused on staying healthy with our focus. Looking and, 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 and pondering and, and, and seeing what God wants to see. And then staying focused upon the Lordship of Christ in your life. And then finally, whoo, I gave you a lot. 
But this one, I love this one. A disciple, a disciple maker lives a lifestyle of faith. Everybody say faith. Now, the, I, can I, I'm just going to read this and comment. You don't have to preach. I don't have to do much here. I'm just going to read this from verse 25. And he begins with therefore. And then verse 34, he goes all the way down to verse 34. I'm just going to read it. He's talking to disciples. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. These are the Jesus words to us, by the way. How many of you, when you're in the middle of worrying about something, somebody just crassly comes up and says, oh, don't worry about that. How many of you, that just really blesses you real good when they do that? Ah, oh, don't worry about that. Man, I'm so worried about this. Ah, oh, don't worry about that. You go, yeah, I do. I want to worry about it. My grandma was a professional worrier. If there was nothing to worry about, if everything's going great, she would worry because there was nothing to worry about. She'd worry about the fact that there's nothing to worry about. She's just a natural born worrier. In reality, we all are. But look what Jesus says as a disciple. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Everybody say, I'm better than the birds. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to your stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. He's talking about birds. Now he's talking about flowers. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Question mark. Now I bet this made the disciples all warm and fuzzy inside. They're feeling special. Because they've got the, they're, Jesus is teaching them and all the multitudes are looking and going, whoo, ah, ooh, ooh, ah, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, the in crowd. And then as he gets to cooking along here, he looks at them. He says, quit worrying about what you're going to eat, drink. Don't do that. Don't worry about that. Oh, you of little faith. Here's all his disciples. You bunch of little faiths. Man, he's hammering this home now. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you got to trust me with every area of your life, with the resources that come into your care, with things that you have or don't have. You cannot worry about it. You can't let worry take over you. Worry is just another form of fear and fear has torment. And he that feareth is not made perfect in love, the Bible says. And Jesus is teaching his disciples that you've got to learn to trust me. And listen to this. Disciples, dedicated and disciplined followers of Jesus who have embraced the command and call of God to make disciples are supposed to live a worry-free life. Man, he just raised the bar. Therefore... He hits it again, verse 31. 
Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. How many of you know he knows you need this stuff? And then he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. All the stuff we worry about so much, if you'll get your priorities straight, he'll just begin to add them into your life. Seek first the kingdom of God. Listen, a worry-free life is a life that has set its priorities in proper order. Seeking first the kingdom of God. Prioritizing our life. You see, as a disciple and as a disciple maker, we have a responsibility to live a life of forgiveness. If we don't forgive, we can't be forgiven. To live a lifestyle of fasting, saying no to our flesh and yes to our spirit. Becoming spiritually in tune with the supernatural things of God. And then a lifestyle of focus, keeping our focus right, our vision straight, investing in eternal things, staying healthy, serving under the lordship and the authority of Christ in our life. Living a lifestyle of faith. That's a big, tall order for us disciple makers. But Jesus didn't back off the word of God. He didn't say, well, I know this is tough and it's probably not going to be able to do it. And, you know, that's what mercy and grace is for. No, he's raising the bar. And so today, you know what? I believe God's raising the bar in our life. The priority of God for our life. You know what? In this room, there's some natural born worriers. That's all of us. But some of you have let worry control your life. And let me tell you something. When worry controls your life, you're out of control. God's not in charge. And so today, let's stand together. I want to pray for you. Pray for God's favor upon us. That he would help us be what he's called us to be. Lord, today. As we bow our heads, we've got a couple of moments. If you're here today and you're walking in unforgiveness, there's a, there's a hindrance and a hook of unforgiveness in your heart. You can't walk forgiven from God until you give that to God. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to just, I'm going to be a nosy pepper. I'm going to get jalapeno business for just a second. That's my responsibility as your pastor to make sure you're right with God and right with others. If I can all, if you're today, you struggle relationally and in an area of unforgiveness and offense with someone else. I want to pray for you today. If that's you, lift your hand wherever you are and say, Pastor, I'm struggling. I got issues with others. If you're here and you can say, Pastor, I got issues with others, lift your hand. I see it. You put it down. I see it, I see it, I see it. I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now that you're going to have to just pray over and over again and just walk through it. Let's pray. Father, today in Jesus' name, I pray for these who lifted their hands. And I want everyone in this room to pray this prayer with me. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, I choose to be a forgiver. I forgive, and just call their name out. I forgive this person. 
I'm going to choose to forgive them. I release them. I bless them. I speak peace over their life. And I choose to forgive them today. And I thank you, Lord. Because of my capacity to choose to forgive others, you can forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. Cleanse me, Lord. Heal my hurting heart. In Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for those who are here who are particularly worried about circumstances in their life or around them. If you're battling with fear and worry, wherever you are, lift your hand right now. I'm going to pray for you. We're going to break this thing. This, Hey, listen, this is an attack of the enemy. Now, the circumstances of your life may have lent themselves toward you worrying, but that's why Jesus came to break us free from those things. Lord, you see these hands today all over this room. I pray for them, Lord Jesus, that you would supernaturally supply, Lord, your capacity in their life. And Lord, I pray that faith would arise in their heart. And I want everyone to pray this prayer. Say, thank you, Jesus, that you love me, that you care for me. You said, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Lord, I pray about this situation. I give it to you. I choose to trust you. I will not fear. I will not worry. I give my life to you. You're in charge of my life. I'm better than the birds. And I know you're going to take good care of me. I trust you today. And I have faith in you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. I think we ought to clap our hands and give him some praise today. I think we're well on our way to some things. Amen. Do you believe that today? Amen. You may be seated for just a moment. Jeremy, what can I do for you, sir? Let's say it right there. There's some people that God says you didn't raise your hand when pastor prayed that first prayer, but you need to. And I hope pastor will give you another chance because you need to forgive yourself. Amen. That's true. How many of you know what? Thank you, Jeremy. One of the biggest, we got to forgive ourselves. That's a good point. Let's just bow our heads and let's just say, let's just follow through. Lord, we don't want to carry around self-condemnation. And so, Lord, we ask you to help us forgive ourselves. And Lord, not be so critiquing that we can't move forward. Lord, we choose to forgive and we ask you to forgive us, cleanse us. Lord, I just ask you to release me from any self-condemnation in my life. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen.